Hi, this is Jim Labedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. Welcome to the program tonight. A few housekeeping chores before we actually get started here. There are some resources out at the website if you're looking and enhancing your skills. Go out to biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z talkradioshow.com. You will find podcasts of all of our previous programs that are available. You can listen to them there. You can download them from there, or you can subscribe to iTunes and get them that way. You can follow us on Twitter at biztalk1040. You can also like us on Facebook. While you're out at the website, you can click on Sales Quick Coach, which is two-minute timeouts to improve your performance. We take a real-world sales situation and give you a solution to that every week. That's posted out there. You can subscribe to receive that weekly. And also, there's a blog called Hire the Best, Insights on Hiring A Players in Today's Marketplace. Those are all the resources that are available at biztalkradioshow.com. So take advantage of those. Go out to the website and access the things that you actually really need. I was thinking about our program tonight, and our guest is Grant Cardone. And we're going to talk about his new book, The 10X Rule, The Only Difference Between Success and Failure. And I'll talk about Grant here in a second, but you want to stay tuned. If you're looking at growing yourself, growing your company, making this the best year ever, I think you're going to be pretty energized listening to what Grant has to say tonight. So I was thinking about a program, and I thought, you know, 2013 promises to be full of opportunity, and actually it'll set up 2014, which should be one of the best years you've seen in recent history. You can take advantage of these opportunities if you're willing to confront the reality of your team's performance and understand where they're at. And what I mean by where they're at and what I'm talking about is your sales team. And where are they at in what I call the sales performance cycle? Now, the first phase of our most recent sales performance cycle started in 2008 and ran through 2009. During the first stage of this cycle, all non-performing salespeople were released With the cut in the Salesforce numbers, there was a natural downsizing of mid-level sales managers. And as a side note, this is also during this time frame that companies took advantage of the recession and fired employees who were not team players or ones they had wanted to fire for years. It was one of the most widespread purging of the ranks in decades. Having cut to the core and needing some replacements to cover natural attrition in their sales department, there was a brief hiring spurt in the first quarter of 2010. From mid-2010 through 2011, positions were filled as needed with little expansion in the Salesforce numbers. It was also during this time period that the second level of firings really took place that brought compensation back into line with margins. Salespeople released during this time frame were surprised at their dismissal. After all, they had survived the bloodletting of 2008 through 2009. They thought they were safe and could find new sales positions which offered similar compensation, only to learn they would not be offered anything close to their previous income. These vacancies were either not filled and territories and accounts were consolidated amongst the remaining salespeople or filled by a new hire that received a lower compensation plan. 
It was not until 2012 that companies started to expand their sales force beyond the filling of these positions due to natural attrition. It will come to no surprise to you that the sales employment pattern matched the purchasing patterns of companies. Fewer purchases before meant fewer salespeople needed. So what's the net effect of this most recent sales performance cycle? Well, number one, if you're a manager today and you started your management career prior to 2008, you'll probably feel darn glad to have a job today. Buyers have done an effective job of beating up our salespeople over pricing and margins. And this is all taken a toll by getting managers to lower their expectations. Salespeople who started their career in 2007 or later only know tough buyers, cutthroat competition, and pricing pressures. The impact on 2013 and 2014 revenue is this. As the market heats up, in other words, there's an increase in spending, worry sales managers and inexperienced salespeople will continue to keep their prices low. The natural increase in spending will automatically increase company revenue, and this increase will be attributed mostly to brilliant management and competent salespeople. Once this starts to happen, things will appear to be back to normal or on track, and the senior managers will see no reason to increase their effectiveness of their sales processes, their salespeople, their sales skills, or anything related to sales. This will leave opportunity for margins on the table and lull senior management into a false sense of security, only to be rudely awakened during the next downturn in the economy by the fact that things weren't as solid as they thought they were. So how can you take advantage of this and secure your future? Sales has always been about following a process. Some people just never get to that realization. Get your sales process documented, train your salespeople on the skills needed to execute each step of your process, and hold them accountable to the process. In the absence of this, you're being held captive by your ability to hire and retrain naturally talented salespeople. Good luck finding them because according to a study by the Objective Management Group, really only 6% of the sales population falls into the top echelon that can sell most things. 24% need some assembly required, 34% are account managers, and the rest should not be in sales. Once you have your sales process documented, you can monitor what stage and opportunities are in. You can actually sign a dollar value to that, and you can start managing your pipeline of opportunities. Once you know what the pipeline of opportunities are, you should never run out of opportunities. Add structure and screening rigor around your recruitment process so you can upgrade your sales staff, not just fill replacements. If you're new to sales management, what I'm describing should take you back a little bit and maybe even scare a little bit of you. If you're a tenured manager, this should be your wake-up call. Now, I started selling in 1980 when I saw my first sales performance cycle between 1982 and 86. I successfully survived that one and four more since then. While they all have different names and caused by different reasons, they've all had the same net effect as I've described above. Dan Sullivan, who's the founder of the Strategic Coach Program, is found as saying, all growth comes from telling the truth. So my question is this, what do you know to be true about your sales force, but there's no evidence by the way that you're running it today? That ties right in with our guest tonight, and our guest is Grant Cardone, and Grant's going to talk about the 10x rule, how to grow 10 times, not only personally, but also professionally. So if you're looking for growth, pay attention to what I said about where you're at in the sales performance cycle, and then stay tuned for what Grant has to say. On the program tonight is Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone is an international sales expert and author providing motivation on sales training programs to Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, and success-minded individuals and entrepreneurs. Cardone is an internationally recognized motivational speaker and is a New York Times bestselling author. He is regularly seen on Fox Business, 
NBC, MSNBC, and Business Insider. Cardone is executive producer and star of The Turnaround King, a TV program created around his motivating, solution-oriented business coaching. Not only is Grant a sales trainer, he is author of four books, and those are Sell to Survive, The Definitive Sales Survival Manual on How to Sell, The Closer Survivor Guide, The Ultimate Guide to Completing the Sale, and if you're not first, you're last, Sales Strategies to Dominate Your Marketplace and Be the Best, and also The Ten Times Rule, which we're going to be talking about him tonight, The Only Difference Between Success and Failure. Grant, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Grant, you've written several books. And obviously, you're focused on generating revenue and generating sales. And I know you started several companies. What is it that brought you about to writing this book on the 10x rule? And how does it relate to our audience here tonight? Well, the 10x rule is a book about a guy that doesn't want his money, his success, or his businesses taken from him. And he feels like he's in an environment where all of it could be taken away. If you're a small business owner today, you know exactly what I mean by that. You know, I'm not so much worried. I love your intro, by the way, about uh, what's happening with the sales cycle and business cycle. However, I think think that there's going to be contractions filled by experienced by most small businesses that aren't about an economic contraction as much as the consumer starting to change their mind, either business to business or a consumer buying from a business is going to change their mind about how they're going to actually purchase goods, services, and products. What do you mean by that? Well, that you know, I was experiencing it yesterday. I was out shopping. I was in a big mall here in Miami, and I, was, I told my wife, I'm like, you know, there's no reason for anybody to go to Macy's anymore or to go to the car dealership or to go to anywhere for that fact. Because I have to experience, in most cases, a human being that doesn't know their product. Even the restaurants. You'll go into a restaurant that people don't even know what's good on the menu. I don't want to read a menu. Right. I, I'm not interested in reading a menu. I don't even know why you give me one. Tell me what the best two things here are. Yeah. That's what I came to get. I'm hungry. And I want the one or two or three things that are best here. Tell me what they are. Convince me they're great. And that's what I'm going to buy. And if you don't have great food or a great product or a great service, then you have a very good chance you'll never see me again. And even if you have a great product or service, there's a good chance you're not going to see me again because I'm not loyal anymore. Consumers aren't loyal. So so we're going through this business cycle that since Lehman, I think – People are looking at their money differently. Whether you own a business and you're buying a product or a service from somebody or you're a consumer buying from a company, you're looking at your money differently today than you were four or five years ago. Yeah, I told my, my mother, who's 86 and still in good health, which is great. We were talking about something, and I said, oh, anymore, I said, I just, I just go out to Amazon and buy whatever I need. I said, you know, the CEO of Amazon made a comment the other day, forget what magazine it was in. He basically said, your margins are my opportunity because Amazon just isn't about selling books anymore. You can buy almost anything you need at Amazon. And right. so if you're not, if you're, I, mean, I think your point is, if you're not adding value to the sales interaction, then why would I be shopping with you? Yeah. The 10X rule is about, it basically was me going through the contraction and having multiple businesses and they were, I, I didn't do anything wrong except that I didn't grow them big enough, fast enough. 
and I believed that things were going to be good, and I didn't know there was going to be government intervention. I didn't know that – I had a feeling that they would start raising taxes, but I didn't know at the severity that we're, we're all going to experience here over the next four or five years. So the TEDx and, and really is, is really your adventure. Oh, absolutely. It's my adventure. I'm like, how am I going to get out of this problem I'm in? <laughs> and, okay. and I realized I was 50, I was 51 years old when I started writing it and I'd been very successful in three different businesses, but my real estate was frozen up because of what had happened in 2008. And my other two companies, one is, you know, very, very heavy in instructional material. They just, everything got tied up because everything changed around me. Everything was changing very fast. Technologies are changing, dropping staff. People didn't have as many employees to send to workshops or schools or whatever we were doing. And so, and again, all this was out of my control, like it was 28 million other small businesses. So what do you do, you know? And and I had to confront. You used that word confront. I had to confront what, where did I depart from a working, viable, survivable business? And when I realized that I had worked hard enough, I had outworked most people by ten times. And the book talks about how to how to get people into it into doing ten times more than they're doing. Most owners of companies would like that idea, but where I failed was my think was not big enough. I should have been going much bigger the entire time. My think should have been bigger. I should have been going for a bigger audience. I should have never targeted audiences. I should have been going for worldwide audiences. I would tell every business, I would tell a laundromat today, get the people in China to know about how well you clean clothes. That That's the kind of expansive think people need to have today. Otherwise, you're, you're going to be swallowed up by something other than just the economy. You write in your book, and, and I underlined this quote, you said the 10X rule assumes the target is never the problem. Any target attacked with the right actions and the right amounts with persistence is attainable. That's, that's a pretty bold statement. Yeah, and what happens with people, you know, and I've had the pleasure of working around tens of thousands of very, very successful people. But what they all say is, they all tell me, hey, you know what? I lowered targets in my life. When things got difficult, I lowered targets. And people shouldn't do that. This, this is a major mistake. This is the creation of the middle class. Well, you, you, you know, write about that in your in your book. You know, the first quote I said in your book kind of got my attention. And the next thing you wrote about, which exactly you described, you know, when people come and say, well, you know, we were trying to do X, let's say a million in revenue, and it looks like we're not going to hit X, million, the million revenue. We're going to lower the goal down to 800,000. You say never do that. No, no, it's criminal. You shouldn't do it. It's criminal. It is a contraction action. It is a retreat on some decision you made earlier. Why? Why would you lower it so you can hit it? It's ridiculous. You made a target. It's like me going out and finding my wife. I find her, but she's not interested in me. So what am I supposed to do? Change my target and go to some other woman? No, I'm supposed to keep my target and raise my actions and get creative. And, and this is what's wrong with hundreds of millions of people in America today. They keep lowering their targets. The kid gets out of college. He wanted to be X. He goes into the environment and nobody's hiring X. So what does he do? He starts flipping hamburgers. So Grant, it's, where do you think this is coming from? Is it the fact we got you know, beat up severely during this last recession, or is it just indicative of the times? Because you write in your book that there's really no shortage of success, especially in America. Yeah, they're, they're what, what's happened is the middle class, which my father and my mother, they couldn't wait to get in the middle class. 
But the middle class 25 years ago is not the same middle class that we have today. Today we have 25 years ago, this was a these were people that were aggressively seeking to get into a place that was inspiring. Today, the middle class is a place of soft, comfortable, crossing their fingers, hoping to be comfortable forever, not knowing what's going to happen next, not even knowing what their state income taxes are. The, the middle class today, and no offense to anybody listening, I'm just telling you the truth about the current situation of hundreds of millions of people. The middle class today is a group of people that are soft, unaware of what's about to happen to them, and hoping that everything's going to be all right, and it's not. You know, you, we're back into an environment where you have to be very, extremely aggressive. We're in an eat-what-you-kill environment now. There is no shortage of success. There's a shortage of people going for it. But there is no shortage of winners, people succeeding. There's no shortage of money. There's just a shortage of big think. So you're saying if you coast along in the middle class today, you're in trouble. The middle class, it's an illusion. It is not what it was. Our politicians should be telling us the truth about it. You know, you hear both parties talk about how they want to save the middle class. The more they talk about it, the worse it gets. All you have to do is look at the last 25 or 30 years, and you know what I'm saying is true. It's just a fact. We have more and more people going into poverty today. Where are they coming from? They're coming from the middle class. So, so what's happening is the middle class is collapsing on itself. You can't make money in the, in the bank. If you're safe, trying to save money the way our parents did, my, my mom was earning 12% in the bank, sometimes 18%. It would take you about 20 years to earn that today. Yeah. So people aren't making as much money today. Median wage is dropping. But then you hear all these these stories about unbelievably successful people, and that's the way people have to think today. Don't think about this middle. Give that up now, and you got to think about how to actually – I would tell people this. Get out of the middle class should be your mantra. I must get out. Our guest today is Grant Cardone. We're talking about his book, The 10X Rule. So, Grant, I mean, you really kind of hit home there, especially when – our politicians are talking about the fact of preserving the middle class, and reality is it tends to be shrinking, or the buying power you used to have is not there anymore. So what's your advice on breaking out of this middle class? How do we get out of this trap and, and get to where we want to be? Well, for, for the first thing to do is to make the decision, hey, you're going to break. you got to break. You have to break out. People have to understand you are not comfortable right now. You have no clue what's coming. We have debt that no one knows what to do with. Who knows? What else is going on that they're not telling us about? So what I would tell somebody, let's say, let's say it's a plumber and he's making 40 or 50 grand a year. The 10X rule, if I was sitting with him, I would sit down with him and say, look, I want to 10X your number. And he would look at me like I'm crazy. I'd be like, no, no. Hey, man, look, are you working hard? Yes. Are you not paid for many things you do every day? Oh, yeah, I'm underpaid. Good. So you're underpaid. So good. We're going to do this. You're working hard already. Our new target is not going to be 50 grand a year. You're a plumbing company. You're making 50 grand. We're going to net 500,000. We're going to come up with a plan where you make real money, where you could actually provide for your family and your future and your company. It's the same amount of effort. It actually doesn't take any more effort. It's just a different think. It's going to take a different plan. And so, so once that decision's made, and then he says to me, but man, I don't need that much money. 
Because that's, that's the first response from everybody. I don't need that much money. Well, look, I'm not talking about just him. I'm talking about him, his employees, his family, his future, his parents that he probably will have to take care of. Many of us, like yourself, might be in a position where you're going to have to take care of your 86-year-old mother. And you weren't planning on that financially. So the, the, the first thing that people need to do is make a decision to get out and think bigger, have much bigger goals, and then write a plan that will get them to that 10x number. You, you mentioned, is it, is it really just creating a vision that's bigger than where you're at right now and seeing yourself in that vision? When listening to you, Grant, it sounds so simple, but I venture to say you run across people where it's difficult in the prime out of that and look towards a bigger future. Yeah, it's all relative, too, okay? So let's say the guy wants to make a million dollars. Sure. I'm going to say, look, that's not going to do it, bro. You haven't done the math on a million dollars. The way the math works on a million dollars, if you make a million dollars, you end up with about maybe 400 grand. After two kids, a house, any medical problems at all, you got maybe, maybe you've made 200,000 after everything this year. Maybe, maybe. And that's probably not a given. When you say, I want, I want to make a million dollars, everybody's underestimating what it takes. The whole world is underestimated. Look, the entire government has underestimated. Other countries are underestimating. So you've got to assume that all the Americans are underestimating. Yeah, chances are they're not going to be able to retire with what they think they can retire on. Who is? Look, there, there, there's millions of people. My sister can't retire when she thought she could. She could be working seven to eight, maybe ten years longer than she thought. That story could be told a million times tonight, hundreds of thousands of times right there in Iowa. Look at the way the farmer was working 25 and 30 years ago, and look at the things that happened to him that he did not even plan on. That was not in the business plan. And that's what I'm saying in the 10X rule. Everybody is underestimating the amount of counter-effort, the unplanned counter-effort that happens on your quest to make 40000 400000 or $40 million. It doesn't matter what the number is. But the only people that are safe, the only people that are financially safe today, I'm not saying they're happy, but financially safe are the wealthy are people with big financial visions and then are building plans and strategies to go get that money. So let's talk about setting that objective, whether you're a salesperson and you want your income to be 150000 or you're a business owner and you want that $10 million business. One thing is is setting that goal and saying, okay, okay, Grant, I'm going to commit. I understand what you're saying. You know, having a $10 million company isn't enough. Maybe it needs to be a $20 million company. The next question that begs itself is, is now what, right? I've set that target. What do I need to follow in the 10X rule that's going to ensure that I'm going to get to that objective? Now what I'm going to start doing is figuring out, okay, who do I need to hook up with? Who do I need to connect with? Who do I need to know? What skills do I have to develop to get to these bigger targets? Because I can't I can't run in the same circles and go from making 150 grand a year to a million five. You see, you see, if I'm talking to a salesperson that's making 150 grand right now, he's at the top of his heap in his company. He's got all the trophies. He's got all the plaques. He's making all the money. He wins the, all the awards. But if we really look at his finances, he's worried. He might have to work for 20 years. 
And he's like, okay, when do I get out of this rat race? So what I would tell him is, look, we got to change your target to a million and a half. And he's going to say, nobody makes that much money. Okay, good. So, so would you be better off? Yes, I would. Okay, well, how do we do it? Just because nobody's done it in his industry or his company doesn't mean it can't be done. Now what I want is I want to raise his thinking and then then the actions necessary. Does he need a different set of customers? Does he need to hire someone? You know, it's interesting in this country, you know, there's 28 million small businesses in America, 21 million, almost a full 75% of them have no employees. That would suggest that Three-quarters of all small businesses in America have a commitment to staying small, and small is not better. You know, yeah. you, you, you got you got to have latitude for some problems, and the problems are going to come. Talk to anybody in business, and they're going to tell you they're coming. So I would start aligning with these bigger actions. Even if I don't hit the million-and-a-half target, and all I do is the same 150, I'm going to end up with better clients better mentors, better people around me, better surrounding, better ideas, certainly a better plan. Yeah. So if what you're saying is identify that target, figure out what you need to be doing, and then put that plan into effect. And what happens when you hit the resistance that you're going to hit? Anytime you set a big objective like that, you're going to hit more resistance. And, and, and what I'm saying in the book is, look, you need new problems. You want new problems, not old ones. The listener right now, look, the, look at your problems. Pick the top three problems you've had, and I bet, I bet a hundred dollars that you've had those same problems for years. You've had them so long, you're even bored with them. You can't even tell the same. You, you've told the story about that problem, those two or three problems, so long and so often. You need new problems. People need new problems. That's what keeps people excited. I want big, giant problems, not little problems. You know, you, you don't want to owe the, the bank 40000 You want to owe them $40 million. Yeah. Have some problems so big that you can't wait to figure out how to solve it because it's going to really change things and really do something big. So when you work with people or you work with companies, I think you said something that's dead nuts on there that they're dealing with the same issues over and over again. Why is that, and how do you get them to break out of that pattern? I think that's really good insight, Grant. Yeah, because 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 most people are trying to avoid problems. You know, you don't want to avoid problems. Behind every problem, there's money. You know, you, you, you want new problems. You want big, juicy problems. You know, I, I had somebody call me the other day and say, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, I got my own problems, and my problems are much bigger than what you're calling me about. I was on my way to New York the other day to do four meetings in New York. You know, the cost of the meetings, uh, the cost of me getting back there on a, on a nonstop, you know, last minute, it was expensive. But it wasn't the cost of it was nothing compared to the opportunity. Right. So I'm like, hey, I'll give my last dollars to go to these meetings. You see, that's a much bigger problem. It's a good problem, not an old, boring one. Like, I'm late on my Visa card. Right. These are problems for hundreds of millions of people. They got little problems that are just dumb, that, that are way beneath the potential of the human being. And I'm not just being motivational when I say that. I'm telling people, look, you need some big – they don't teach you this in college. Go get some big, giant problems. If you study the top 30 most financially successful business people in the United States, you're going to see they went after big, big, juicy 
huge, humongous problems. And they just stuck with it. They're more exciting. You, you, you get more creativity. The, the human spirit comes up with ideas and concepts around big problems that it would never come up with around, oh, man, how am I going to pay my visa this month? You've worked with hundreds of people. You've trained thousands of people. How do you get them committed then to actually, you know, it's nice setting those big targets, but then being committed to do the work it takes to advance towards those targets? How do you get that commitment? Well, m- most of the time I use fear first. You know, I'm like, I look at a guy that's making 40 or 50 grand a year. He thinks he's doing well. He's like, I can live on that where we are. My family's doing fine. My kids are getting schooling. I'm going to sit down with him and lay down the financial truth of what money he has left over at the end of a year. Because there's no money left. Yeah. To get him to confront the if reality you, again. Yeah, if you're starting with 40 or 50, no offense to anybody that's listening. I, I, I know this can be a, an offensive message, and I probably don't apologize enough. But once you look at it and you quit blaming the government, look, we all know the government is going to do nothing for you the right or the left. For 75 years, they out, they spend more money for 75 years in a row. So we, we, you can't expect that they're going to change that philosophy. And I'm just saying, look, if you look at 40000 60000 75000 just pick a number, whatever number you're making. Sit down with your wife or your husband and say, hey, how much money's left over? Seven grand? Okay, multiply times 30 years. You're going to have $210,000 left to retire on. 30 years from now, you won't even be able to take a cruise. <laughs> and what if you live longer than you think you're going to? And why would anybody want to live that long and then not be able to enjoy the rest of their life and not, not be worried Be worried about it? I watched, I watched both my parents worried toward the end of their lives. Will it even last? And so I think that's the first thing a manager, an owner of a company, or if you're, you're running your household, you really need to look, confront, use that word in your intro, confront the truth, uh, the reality of the situation, and then realize the only way out of this is not to save more. It's not to, to, to tear up your credit cards. Debt is not your problem, and spending is not your problem. The problem is people don't produce enough income, period. So get them focused on the income side of things. It's the top line on a financial statement. I don't know why everybody spends 80% of their time on the bottom half of a financial statement. See, I just flip everything. I spend 80% of my time on the top half of the financial statement. Probably spend 95% of my time on the top half. I spend about 5% on budgets and expenses. Because if I can produce enough, if I can have enough really driven people and push my people to even greater levels all the time. Just keep pushing, keep incentivizing to get to that next level. I'm not worried about the expenses. People don't cost money. Not selling your product and service costs money. So why is it that that most small businesses out there, or not even small businesses, but some businesses don't have this focus and attitude that, that if we're not out selling our products, then what else is there? I mean, if you're not out marketing and selling your products and services, why else would you be in business? Why do so many uh, business people miss that that concept? I don't know, dude. They're they're I don't know. they're having meetings. <laughs> I was they're rearranging the, the the stock in the back of the room. They're, I always say they're, 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 I don't know what they're doing. They, they think they're going to social network their way out of this. I, I mean, I you know I don't exactly know what people are doing, but. Well, what are, Grant, what are people coming to you today, the people you interact with? What are they 
fearful of? What are they saying? Well, I just, I just did, yeah, I just did some work with Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley makes, I mean, they, it's like they print their own money, right? They make right. so much money. But what their issue is this: Hey, Grant, we got a great product, a great name, a brand that's known around the world. My people, the average person there makes huge money. Can you get them to the next level? I said, Oh, sure, I can. But the way to get them to the next level is you got to get them out of that comfortable place. The comfortable place. Look, if you're not scared. You should be. I asked a guy the other day, I said, are you scared? He's like, no. I said, well, then you're not playing a game I want to play. Dude, I'm scared every day. Every day I'm scared because the game I'm in is new. You want to be in a new game on a new playing field against a new objective. You, you want to be in the game and completely excited. Not, I'm doing the same thing over and over again. I'm calling on the same customers over and over again. That's good, but you need some new customers. Look, get, look at BlackBerry. Look what happened to Rim and BlackBerry, a, a multi-billion-dollar company. It got complacent, and they can't find their way back now. Yeah. You know, Grant, we just get started in this. I can't believe our hour's about over. I feel like I'd talk to this topic at least a couple more hours with you. So a couple final questions to get us focused in. Number one, you're with a business owner today. The one piece of advice you're giving him is what? Change your target and push your people to greatness. And if they quit... Then let them quit. Quit on. Make make sure they quit on the way out the door. That that you are shoving them to greatness. Is there one question today that I should ask you that I haven't asked you? Maybe it's like you know, I, I'm I'm brutally crushing on the middle class. This message, and, and so if your producer of your show is listening to this, he's like, he's sitting there, he's earning forty grand or fifty grand a year, and he's like, dude, this guy's like, he's making everything I, I'm doing wrong. But, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just wake people up and say, look, there will be nothing left over. I just moved from California to the, all the way to Florida to avoid 13.3% state tax. I didn't do that because it was a comfortable thing. I didn't do that because I like Florida. I did it because it's the financially right thing for me to do for my family, my company, and my future. If people want to learn more about what you have to offer, where would they go? Uh, you can go to grantcardone.com, or you can. I'm very active on Twitter at Grant Cardone. What's got Grant excited these days? What's in your bigger future? 10x, man. Look, look. I want to 10x everything. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm buying real estate. I want to produce more money so I can put it in places where I know it will be protected. Like multifamily real estate is a very exciting place for me because it will produce income for for my kids and it'll produce income for my wife long after I'm dead. So. I want to do great things for the community. I want to have money for my church and my community and, and the Boys and Girls Club and, and things that I'm interested in, I want to be able to do. And regardless of what they do in the government, I still want to be able to do it because I was productive enough and smart enough to be able to make those decisions. Grant, thanks for being on our program. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest tonight has been Grant Cardone. His book is The 10X Rule. I suggest you get out and read it. I found some of his things pretty challenging in the book, but it's mainly challenging because it goes against conventional wisdom today. And, you know, one of the things I'll leave with you is what Dan Sullivan, who started the Strategic Coach program, Dan's been on this BizTalk with us. You can find his podcast out at the website, biztalkradioshow.com. But he made a comment one time. He said, always make your future bigger than your past. You'll be willing to make your future bigger than your past. And what Grant's talking about today is kind of wake up, and recognize there's more opportunity out there for you. You don't have to accept the things that are coming your way. 
Also in his book, and the book we're talking about is the 10X Rule, uh, there's a section in there that goes through 32 things that you can look at in terms that are mind changers in terms of getting you focused on growing by 10 times. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.